Well, good morning, everyone. Very happy Good Friday to you all. What a blessing to have a Savior who loves us, who has given his life so we could live and know him forever. Uh, we do have a Sunday Easter service coming up, so that's at the regular time, 10 a.m., uh, if you want to hear the second part, because Good Friday is just the beginning. It's all heading towards Christ and his resurrection. Uh, but today, we're going to be talking about um, what happened all those years ago and the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. So let's, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to be our Savior, that you are good, that you are just and merciful and kind, and that you've given us a way to salvation and pardon from our sin through Christ crucified. And we thank you that he is that perfect Lamb of God sent to seek and to save the lost. And thank you for calling our names, for finding us, for drawing us near to yourself by your grace. And we thank you for the, the good news that we have, um, that you have fulfilled through Jesus. Thank you that he is the light in the darkness, that he is the one who has conquered sin and death. And we do worship you and we thank you for this time and pray that you would fill us with your spirit so we might understand what you're saying to us all in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of the things that we look forward to, they involve preparation and planning. As a kid, I always looked forward to Easter because I meant going to Grandpa's house and there was going to be an egg hunt and the golden egg was always on everyone's minds. It's like 20 bucks and an egg to a kid was pretty special. And that's like, we're going to get that thing. Uh, and if, you've, if you're planning to travel during these holidays, you've likely booked your tickets already. You have insurance, your accommodation, your travel plans, an itinerary. And, and some of us are looking forward to not having travel plans and just having restful days without work meetings. And um, we, we prepare for a birthday by writing in a card or buying or wrapping a gift. And, and sometimes we make plans that fall through. We've looked forward to something, but it doesn't happen because someone's sick or someone's double booked. And when we read of God making plans, though, he has a good purpose that he always fulfills in them. Like he doesn't fall short of bringing to pass exactly what he planned. And we plan. We sometimes don't hit the mark, but God always does. He sees them fulfilled, even if it's been a thousand years in the making. And we remember today the crucifixion of Jesus that was planned before the beginning of the world. In Revelation 13, 8, it says, from the foundation of the world. So before God created Adam and Eve, before sin entered the world, before there was a sinner, God made a way of salvation. He planned that before it even happened. It's even as light existed before the sun, God had salvation before there was a sinner. And we'll be in today, this passage, Luke 9, verse 28, if you'll turn there. We're just going to quickly bring up to speed. Uh, Jesus had called disciples to follow him. He went through Israel preaching repentance and the gospel. And Isaiah says, speaking of the Messiah, that there was nothing striking about his appearance. He wasn't, there wasn't like a halo over his head. He wasn't like the most... Um, he, there was nothing that was, you could single him out from a crowd. He blended right in. God made flesh. There was nothing that you, would make you think he was the son of God until he was transfigured. So in Luke 9, 28, it says, Now it came to pass, about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. 
as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Verse 1, it says, or the verse 28, it says, after these things, um, after these sayings. That included, so Jesus talking about his suffering, that he'd be rejected, he would be uh, killed, and he would rise from the dead. So this is the context of what Jesus was saying. He said, all who seek to save their lives will lose them. Those who lose their life for my sake will save it. And he took Peter, John, and James, his disciples, on a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, his clothing and his face shone brighter than the sun. It was like lightning. Now the disciples, while Jesus was praying, they had all fallen asleep. And they were shocked to wake up and find Jesus just gleaming brighter than the sun. And he's speaking with Moses and Elijah. And the subject of their conversation is interesting because it's not a conversation I have ever heard before that the death or the departure of Jesus, what he was going to accomplish in that. The death he would accomplish. This is ironic because when people die, their ability to accomplish anything ends. It's like we know our lives are temporary on earth we don't see as death as anything to accomplish. We know we are, we are, our time on earth is short. It will come to an end. It's the prolonging of our lives we see as an accomplishment. If someone's a survivor, they've accomplished something. But Jesus is like, this is what I'm going to accomplish by my death. He was going to accomplish something. Peter, he suggests, let's just build three tents. One for Jesus, one for Jesus. Uh, Elijah, one for Moses, and suddenly the voice of God booms from the heavens saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. See, Jesus knew when and he knew how he was going to die because this was God's plan from the beginning, that he would be the lamb of God without blemish who would die for the sins of the world. He wasn't like a convicted prisoner who was awaited execution, that the judge has given him a date. No, he knew because he had ordained it. He said this in John 12, 32 and 33, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying what death he would die. So as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness and all who looked upon it were cured of their snake bites, so Jesus would be lifted up. He would be crucified and his blood would be shed to atone for mankind. His death would be a bloody death on a Roman cross. In the Old Testament, God, he had made a covenant of law with the Jewish people. And he provided a way of atonement, that's cleansing and pardon for sin, through the shed blood of sacrifices. And we know that if you want to make a purchase, you have to use the right currency. Like if I want to go to a cafe and they only take cash, my plastic is not going to be any good there. You know, I could offer Bitcoin, it's not going to matter. Um, if, if you want to buy something in Australia, you don't bring your euros or your U.S. dollars. You have to bring Australian dollars because that's the currency required. And the currency required to atone for and to pay for sin is there's two ways. It's the death of the offender. We see that in Numbers 25 when Phineas executed people who had disobeyed God and had gone after idols. And it said, you have atoned for Israel by their deaths. 
The other way that atonement can be made is when there's a substitute, when there's an acceptable sacrifice whose blood is shed that can cover the sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission, there's no pardon, there's no cleansing. So year after year, sacrifices were made in the tabernacle, in the temple, daily sacrifices and yearly a sacrifice of atonement to cover the sins of the people. But God's plan was to send his own son as a righteous sacrifice to once and for all pay the price for sin. So Jesus, he goes up to the, to the Passover with his disciples in Jerusalem. During that meal, he identified Judas as his betrayer. And that same night, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas came, betrayed him. He was arrested and bound. There were witnesses that spoke against him, but their, their accusations did not agree. But they determined he was guilty of blasphemy and brought him before Pontius Pilate the following day. The Bible says he was, he was questioned, he was beaten, he was scourged, he was spat upon. And blood marred his face as that crown of thorns was pressed into his head. Pilate found no fault with him, the Roman governor. And yet he brought him out to the people and said, behold the man. And people looked upon him and said, kill him, crucify him. Every day is a fitting day to behold the man, to behold Jesus Christ, the son of God, the righteous Messiah, condemned to death by wicked men. And so Pilate, there's this mob building and he washes his hands symbolically in water to say, I am innocent of this man's blood. You see to it. And the people said, his blood be on us and our children. And the cruel injustice of Jesus being crucified on a cross was redeemed by God to provide atonement. And as Jesus was before Pilate, Pilate was really baffled by his behavior because he had seen many people who were condemned. Many people panicked at the thought of death, at the thought of being crucified. Jesus was not begging for his life. He was not accusing others. He wasn't blaming others for delivering him to death. He said, you could have no power against me except it were given to you from above. And he opened not his mouth. He did not even defend himself from these allegations. There was no annoyance or animosity in Jesus, only love and grace and mercy. When the, his own people were baying for his blood, they released Barabbas, a murderer and a robber, and condemned Jesus. And so over his head, Pilate wrote a title in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, and the moment came when the nails were driven into his hands and his feet, and he hung there on the cross with a condemned criminal on either side of him outside the city of Jerusalem. And people weren't done mocking him and scorning him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's incredible to think that in all the pain and suffering Jesus endured, love and forgiveness was on his heart, in his heart and on his lips. He's interceding with God on their behalf to bless them, even when they hated him. Pain gets our attention. I remember once I was waiting for the phone, like it was in those days where there was one phone in the house. 
and you had to wait to use it. And it was on the wall, and so you all went to one place to use the phone, and as I'm waiting for the phone, there's a stapler on the desk, and I'm kind of feeling it, and absentmindedly lean on it, and ka-chunk. Oh. Oh. And I just put a staple right into my finger. So it was just... And when that staple was inside of me, the only thing I could think about was getting that thing out. I wasn't thinking about loving people or forgiving people or anything like that. I was like, I've got to deal with this. This is hurting. And Jesus had those nails put through his body and he's hanging there and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. To help others, not his own pain. He's thinking of them. And that's why he went to the cross in the first place, is out of love for us. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 23, starting in verse 44. We're going to read a couple of accounts of what happened as Jesus was being crucified. Luke 23, 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Now the sixth hour, that would be noon. And uh, from noon to 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the earth. And that's usually the brightest time of day, right? Twelve in Jerusalem, um, and, he cri- and so people waited, and as Jesus hung in darkness, bleeding out, and he cried, into your hands I commit my spirit, and breathed his last. There's another account in Mark 15, verse 37. It says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. After the three hours of darkness, at the death of Christ, the veil in the temple was torn top to bottom. Now, most people had never seen this veil because it was in the temple and only sanctified priests could enter the temple. And only the high priest one day of the year could go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where atonement would be made for the sins of the people. So that veil separated the most holy place from the holy place where you had the menorah, the altar of incense, and the table of showbread. The blood that was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant year by year on an annual basis, it could not take away sins. It could only cover them. But Jesus did infinitely better because by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And what Jesus accomplished spiritually was revealed in the physical when that veil was torn from top to bottom. The payment for sin had been accepted. The way to the presence of God and a relationship with him had been secured through Christ. And that's how God gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So through the new covenant in Jesus' blood, we now, those who are Christ's followers and born again, we have access to God in a relationship through Christ. The centurion had observed Jesus for three, at least three hours, right? There were three hours of darkness. And he came to two conclusions. 
He said, Jesus was certainly a righteous man, and truly this was the Son of God. Now, the death of Jesus would not have accomplished anything except those two things were true. And because they are true, Jesus did accomplish everything he set out to do in providing atonement, forgiveness, pardon, and eternal life with God forever. And Jesus went to the cross not dreading pain, not dreading uh, death, but for the joy set before him, he endured it. He laid down his life knowing he was providing the hope of eternal life through all who trust in him. Isaiah 53 verse 10, it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. People are willing to pay for what they value. You save, as a kid, you save your money, and you, you have your eyes. Like, I had a, my eye on this bike as a kid, a GT performer. I saw it in the magazines. I'm like, that is what I want. And so I saved for years to get this bike. And I got it, and I was pleased to have it. I was like, I have my life savings. I'm going to trade it for this thing I can use. It pleased God to shed the blood, his own blood, the blood of his only begotten son, so that we could be purchased, lost sinners. Now see, that bike, it was pretty popular. It was pretty cool. But this exchange that God did, without love, it makes no sense. Because he's like, those lost, condemned, doomed sinners that hate me and are opposed to me and who mock and scorn me, I want them because I love them. They're condemned. They are guilty but I want them to be mine and I want them to love me. And so I'm going to give this offering to them. I'm going to make an offering of salvation through faith. I'm going to offer a full pardon with crediting righteousness to them if they will just trust me. And that offer is on the table for us and we rejoice to receive it by his grace. It displeased God that we were cut off from him, that we are headed for hell because of our sin justly. Yet because he is just, he provided a way to atone, to pave that punishment so that we could be justified. Now, before the sun set on Friday, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, he was a member of the Jewish council. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And after the soldiers confirmed he was dead, the body was released to, to Joseph. Mark 15, 46 says, Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And this is how Good Friday ends. Before sunset on Friday, the body of Jesus was washed, it was wrapped, it was anointed with spices, and it was laid in a tomb carved out of stone. A large stone was blocking the entrance to this tomb and his body lay in a hush of darkness. And the Jewish rulers, not content just to accuse and to kill Jesus, they went to Pilate and said, we don't want any, anyone stealing the body and claiming Jesus is risen from the dead. So 
please secure the tomb. And so he put his Roman seal on it that was broken only, like if you broke that seal, it was death and it was guarded by Roman soldiers. And they waited, guarding it. And this act by unbelieving men, it proved the veracity of the miracle that occurred days later because they had made it as secure as they could. And yet we will talk about Resurrection Sunday, Jesus risen that no man could prevent. So today we behold the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died so we might live. The disciples on this day, they were grieving. The Messiah that they had put their whole life into following, he was dead. And they were just shocked. They mourned. They wept. We can rejoice in knowing Jesus accomplished everything he intended to do through his sacrifice. And when we consider the sufferings of our Savior, let's rejoice to love him, to praise and worship him. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 5, 6, and we'll close here. Romans 5, verse 6. It reads, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We, sinners, people who have broken God's laws, fallen short of his glory, deserving of death, we have received life through faith in Jesus, being justified by his blood, pardoned, forgiven, as if we had not sinned, which is remarkable. And the price we, we owed for our sin that we deserve to pay for eternity, Jesus has paid once for all. And what a joy it is to be forgiven. I think of the last day of school, how exciting that is. Like, all right, the, there was a burden I was bearing that I didn't realize, like all these exams and all these assessments, and now it's like, it's over. And I just have maybe a life of work ahead of me, but I'm not thinking about that. <laughs> I'm thinking about holidays and time off and time with my friends and planning and preparation and good food and excitement. But joy to be forgiven without a grudge, without holding, being held against you and being now adopted into the family of God as his beloved children where it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom and we get to know him and we get to serve him and speak with him and have him bear our burdens as we bear one another's burdens in love. There's so much in life that we prepare for but the one thing we don't have to worry about is the wrath of God because we've been saved from it. We've been saved from death. We've been saved from um, eternal darkness apart from God. We've been brought into his presence. And so because of Jesus, we can prepare to meet God on good terms as his beloved children for he gives all who trust him the right to be the children of God, born again, made righteous by faith in Christ who died for us. Let's celebrate him always. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to lay down his life so that we could be 
redeemed so that we could be atoned for, that we could be justified and made righteous by your grace. And thank you, Lord, in your wisdom that you accomplished uh, salvation through the death of Jesus. His blood was shed to atone for us, and now we are made whole because he was broken. We have life because he died and rose again. And we thank you, Lord, that we can look through the tomb and see our risen Savior sitting down at the right hand of the Father, knowing that it is finished. The price has been paid. All that condemned us is gone, and we are safe from the wrath of God and have eternal life in your presence that begins today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just fill our hearts with joy and celebration in this knowledge, that it would be real to each one of us, that we would choose to follow Jesus. We would choose to identify with you as our Lord and Savior. And thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, a suffering servant whom we worship and bow down before and praise forever and ever. For you are holy and good, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.